Luke 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? What things, he asked About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body they, they came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us so much. Help us to love you more and to know you better. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, you may be seated. So um, I kind of like to had this um, fun adventure over this last week as a dad um, because I wanted to show my two little kids the original Star Wars movies, okay? Like, okay, so side note here, not a fan of what Disney's doing right now with it, but the original ones, right? A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. I remember watching those as kids, as a kid, and, and just having my mind blown. And I just couldn't wait till they were, you know, old enough to like show some interest in this. You know, Mila wasn't too interested because there's no Barbies and no mermaids, you know, in the story. But we got to the end of Empire, right? And, you know, Han Solo's frozen in carbon. Hey, will you just bear with me while I geek out for a second here? Han Solo is like frozen in carbonite. And then Luke and Darth Vader have this showdown. And then, you know, it sort of wraps up and, and his friends go out to rescue him. And then the credits roll and she turns to me in the seat and she goes, that's it? That's the end? You know, what happens to Han Solo? I was like, well, there's another movie. I'm like, hooked. (laughs) And so she was like, can we watch it now? I said, no, you can't watch it now. But when they came home the next night late, I put on a little bit of Return of the Jedi and 
oh my goodness, I wish I had recorded them watching the movie. It was so awesome. I had to tell Noah to stop chewing his fingernails like four times. So excited, so excited. Listen, you, you know, once you know how a story ends, you can never experience the, that emotional roller coaster of, you know, what's going to happen next, right? The only way you get to experience that is to experience it and watch it with somebody who's never seen it, who, who's experiencing it for the first time. And here in the story, we've got these two disciples. These are guys who they've been believing and following Jesus. They've been involved and invested in the ministry. They, and now they're doubting the testimonies of the women who saw the angel and they, and they have their doubts, and they have their questions, and, and they're leaving Jerusalem. And, it, you know, it's tempting to give them a hard time because we all have the benefit of knowing how the story ends. But we don't have the benefit of not knowing what we know in order to really understand where they're coming from. But let's try. Let's roll it back a few days to the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. The crowds have been yelling. They've been chanting, we're going to make him the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? The disciples are with Jesus. They, they are so sure that now is the time when Jesus is going to become the king of Israel. He's going to eradicate the Roman Empire. And they're so sure and confident of this impending political and military triumph that they're actually arguing with each other where they're going to sit in the royal throne room. Right? This is everything. More than even just watching the crumbling of a pagan empire that had had Israel under its boot for a hundred years. Jesus, the Messiah, represents the exaltation of God's people on a global scale. The fulfillment of all the prophecy and promises. The restoration of all things to its original perfection and the judgment of evil. And they are in the circle of the Messiah. And they are totally going to get a posh position in the palace. And then Jesus is betrayed, and then he's dragged off to court, and he's beaten and crucified. The one who could raise people from the dead, the one who could walk on water, the one who could restore sight to the blind or or make the lame people walk, he didn't do a single miracle to get him out of this circumstance. He did not defend himself. He didn't even try to plead for mercy. And now all of their dreams all of their hopes, everything that they have believed, everything that they've left, their homes and their families and their businesses is dead. So now what? That life had taken a really brutal, sharp turn, and they are, they're at a dead end. And so, so they go home, and they leave. And it's pretty easy to come up with, you know, a list of reasons why they would do that. I'm sure they were afraid for their lives. It would be logical to assume that if the leaders have killed Jesus, guess who they're coming for next, right? Their names are probably on a list somewhere, right? Also, this feeling of heartbreaking disappointment. This was brutal. And their hearts are crushed. And there is a tremendous grief here. And some of you either already understand this kind of grief. Listen, when Jesus died, something inside of them died too, right? And you either just understand that or you're going to understand that at some point. Listen, political parties can survive when, when a, a political leader dies. Kingdoms can roll on when a king dies. But Christianity is nothing if Jesus is not there. And Jesus died. And if he's gone, there was nothing, there was nothing left worth staying for. And I think that's why that Jesus comes after these two guys. 
I mean, you remember all of the people that left Jesus, that walked off, the ones who were offended. Remember when Jesus starts talking graphically about his death and about consuming his flesh and blood, they walked off. The rich young ruler, Jesus spent time talking with this guy. He, it says he loved him. It says he invited this man to, to leave his jet-set life and to follow him, to become a disciple. But he turns around and walks off. Guess what? Jesus doesn't run after him. He didn't run after that crowd of people saying, whoa, wait a minute, let me explain. No, but these two guys that we don't know a lot about, Jesus comes after them. And I think it's because they weren't leaving Jesus because they got offended. They weren't leaving because the sacrifices were too much or they were uncomfortable or lazy or anything like that. No, these guys are 100% all about Jesus. He was the sole motivating factor. And it's probable that these guys were in that 72 that Jesus sends out before him in chapter 10. But they believed in him. And if Jesus was out, so were they. And they were not going to waste one second pretending. Because these were committed men. These were godly men. These were honest men with honest doubts. And they had their doubts. And I, and I think if everyone here this morning is transparent, you can say, yeah, I've, I've had some doubts too. At one time or another about something, right? Am I right? About, about God, about his plan for me, about who am I to him. I've ha- we've had doubts, right? Danger is not in the doubts. Danger is in a mindset where doubt is your default position. Danger is also in covering up the doubt and pretending that everything's okay when it's not. You can't fake belief. You cannot fake faith. That's just a religious spirit. And Jesus is never about a robotic routine of ritual. No, no Jesus says, look, I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill the law. So uh, Jesus' perspective on religious routine is that unless it's directly connected to him and his fulfillment, it's not useful. Why? Because religion cannot remove your sin. Religion cannot accomplish the inner working of the Holy Spirit. Religion is just a form. It's not the substance. Religion is the mold. But unless that mold is then filled with the work of Christ, it's, it's just empty at best. Maybe it's full of garbage. I don't know, but it's just a mold, right? It's not the actual thing. So if you are sitting here today and you have some doubts, or maybe you've had some doubts, I want you to know something. Jesus, he's not afraid of your doubts. You see, if Jesus was afraid of of questions and doubts, he would have never showed up, right? Because guess what? Jesus was peppered every day with questions from skeptics, right? And And he would never have put this story in the Bible, but he does because he knows there's others out there just like these two. They have doubts. And so they leave and they go back to where they came from. They're gonna try to, you know, untangle this in their head. This is where Jesus meets them. And do you ever think, you know, uh, if you ever, could ever, like, be inserted into a Bible story, like, which ones you, wanted, you would want to show up in to, like, actually see it? For me, this is one of those. This is a conversation that I wish had been written down word for word in the Bible, right? Because we've got a lot of examples of Jesus using stories and illustrations to teach about what the kingdom is like. But on this day... These two, they get a step-by-step description of Messiah's plan and his purpose revealed in every book of the Bible. I mean, can you imagine Jesus Christ 
walking you through the entire Bible, right? It's a four-hour master class on, on prophecy taught by the Son of God himself. And here's what I love about it. These guys weren't trying to fake anything. They, they weren't trying to pretend like they saw the greater picture. And, and this is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't condemn them for their questions and for being confused. All right, and so this, um, this part is maybe for students or for everybody really who's been a student, but really, you know, mostly for the students. You remember like being in a class and you were like, you were sort of done with the lecture. You know what I'm saying? Like you were just waiting for the bell to ring, get me out of here. And then there's this kid who like raises his hand and he's like, asks a question at the end of the class. And then like the teacher launches into this whole other like monologue about what, and you're like, you want to just wring that kid's neck. Like we were, we were almost out of here. And then you had to pipe up. You screwed up. You see, people with questions and confusions, you get a bad rap, but I guarantee you a lot of questions were being asked on this journey. And some people are just afraid of asking questions because, I don't know, maybe they feel like they don't want to seem dumb or whatever. But when you don't ask a question, you don't get the answer, right? If you don't ask questions, you don't get answers. I know this is earth-shattering stuff. Write this down. You will get zero answers for all of the questions you never ask. And here's another little nugget. You will never find someone that you aren't looking for. Matthew chapter 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Ask, seek, knock. These are words that are called verbs. And guess what? Verbs require action on your part, right? God is inviting your participation. He is inviting your action. He says, ask, it will be answered. Seek, you will find. Knock, a door will open to you. And Proverbs 25 says, it is God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. And guess what? Since we belong to God's family, we are royalty. And if we're going to live up to that title, then we need to have the mindset of an investigator or a discoverer. If you want the diamonds, you can't be afraid to get the shovel in your hands and get a little dirty and get a little sweaty. Can I get an amen? Jesus wants to get right at what's nagging at your mind and what is hindering your faith. Why? Because faith is the prize, right? Don't hide your doubt. Address it. Attack your doubt. Do the work of an investigator. God went to great lengths to seek you out, to come and find you where you were. And don't you think maybe once in a while he might appreciate it if we showed him that we were as interested in coming after him as he has been in coming after us? Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Note what Jesus does here. He pursues these guys. Jesus has called us to be like him and and to do the things that he does. Am I right? And so I want us to think about this in terms of either, you know, doubts and questions that, that maybe we're struggling with today, or maybe for those of you that have already found the answers, watch Jesus here. Watch what he is doing, and I want you to think about people who used to be in church, but they gave up and they walked off. Jesus said we'd be doing the stuff that he did. Am I right? Jesus does not reject people because of questions. Jesus is not afraid of questions. He's not afraid of doubt. I mean, come on. He tells us, you know, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my way is greater than your ways. He know, he's, he's expecting us to ask some questions. 
Jesus is not interested in people who just want to look like they're religious, but there's no substance of faith there. So Jesus is telling you today, please stop faking it. It's never going to work. You're just wearing yourself out. You're tired. Come to me. Ask me some questions. I've got the answer. But then remember, see, it's not just the asking of questions that, in which revelation comes. It's also about who are you asking. It's not just the questions. It's who you're asking the question to. We've all heard the phrase, it's not what you know. It's, it's who you know. And that's also true here. You see, these disciples, the ones who followed Jesus, they heard all of his teaching. They saw all the miracles, right? They, but they're still proving here that they don't know a lot. But they were asking the questions to the right person. And the scene starts out with these two. They're having a conversation, right? And neither one of them has the answer. One of them is just as lost as the other one. Your answers are only going to be as smart as the person that you ask. And both of these guys are clueless right now. This is dumb and dumber road trip, okay? This is, this is clueless in Emmaus. So while it's okay to have some questions and doubts, don't expect the answer, please, don't expect the answer to come from people who are just as confused as you are. These two are only as smart as the sum of their two brains until Jesus steps in. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And suddenly, now at their disposal, they have the source of all the wisdom of the universe, who made the universe, who holds it all together, who moves it all forward in motion, and he's walking on the road with them. And so, yes, when you have doubts, ask, seek, knock, but make sure that you are on the road with Jesus and you are asking him the questions. Make sure that it's him that you're seeking. Make sure that it's him that you are asking. If you have doubts, ask the questions. Ask the right people. If you have doubts about me, don't go to work and ask the person at work because I don't know them and they don't know me. Go to the source. If you got questions about Jesus, pray to Jesus and then look in the scripture. Guess what? He's going to show up. I don't believe people who say, well, I got doubts and then they walk away from church and out into the world. No, they just put their faith somewhere else. You aren't pursuing God. You're pursuing you. Jesus gave these disciples a little bit of a hard time initially. This is comedy gold, right? He walks in and, you know, he's playing dumb in order to get them to, you know, he started to get them to talk. He doesn't condemn them, but, but he does say, you guys are foolish. Because think about it. The Bible, the Torah is written in Hebrew. These guys are Jews. And if you remember back at Christmas, I was talking about how the Hebrew language is different than ours because every single letter has symbolic meaning. And so every word in, this, in, in sentence in the Bible has got all these layers of meaning. And I showed you right in, in the first word of the Bible in Genesis, the entire plan of God is right there. I'm in, yeah, in shorthand, but it's still there. He gives it away. And here are two Jews who speak the language. They studied the same Torah. Not only that, they've been in the company of the Son of God, and they've listened to him, walked with him, seen him do all this stuff, and still in their mind, default to doubt. You know, I think it's an interesting question here, because it says that Jesus, uh, they're, they're withheld from, from really recognizing him. Like, how did that happen? You know, if you think about it, um, if, you, if you look over at your spouse or you, or you think that you're seeing the color of the pew is blue, what you're actually seeing is not the thing. You're seeing the light that is reflected off of the thing. The pew looks blue because it is reflecting a blue wavelength into your, into your eye, and your eye takes it to your brain. And your brain translates it and tells you, hey, this is what you're seeing, right? 
So how easy would it be for the man who said, I am the light of the world, to just somewhere on that chain, you know, change the info a little bit. They don't know who he is. I think the better question than how is why? Why does Jesus disguise himself here? Why does Jesus prevent their eyes from seeing him and recognizing him? Think about it. Jesus is crashing his own funeral. This is so cool. I mean, have you ever daydreamed about, you know, sort of like walking into your own funeral, right? Sitting down, nobody recognizes you, listening to them say, oh, I should have treated him better when he was alive. You know, whatever. <laughs> are you, or you wonder maybe, have you ever wondered about what people are going to say at your funeral, right? Well, this is Jesus. He's crashing his own funeral in disguise. And I love it that he conceals his identity because guess what? Jesus could have done this very differently. I mean, he could have made a different decision here, right? He could have just walked in and said, hey, guys, it's me. It's Jesus. Here's the, here's the prince in my hand. Check it out. He could have done that. He did that with Thomas. He doesn't do that here. And, and, and they're saying, you know, Jesus, if you had just shown up in an obvious way, it sure would have saved a lot of time and energy. It sure would have saved us a lot. And have you ever said the same thing to Jesus? If you had just have showed up in an obvious way, I sure would have saved a lot of time. But they would have missed out on the master plan. And Jesus here unveils the Pentagon super secret plan from the beginning. They would have, they would have gotten distracted by the miracle if he had just revealed himself. But Jesus reveals the plan before he reveals himself. And sometimes we're praying, oh, Jesus, show up in my situation, crash into this dark place, uh, take the enemy down, save me from all the problem, save me from my pain. And sometimes Jesus does something even better than that. He shows us his plan, not our plan, not your plan, not my plan, his plan, one that doesn't miraculously take away everything that's bad and scary, but it is one that eliminates the fear and grows our faith. Because faith is the prize. Faith is not grown by instant answers or, you know, just add Jesus miracles. It is grown and strengthened in the process of testing and teaching. So Jesus walks with them for seven miles and he teaches them everything about Messiah in the scriptures. And our faith grows through testing and teaching also. We must face tests in order to reveal the truth about where we're at. You see, a bodybuilder grows his muscles by continuing to go in and push them to the limit, to stretch them past their limits of endurance, to tear them apart so they can grow back bigger, right? And our faith grows not because of a little religious routine, but because of tests that we face and our personal pursuit of God and his character and his presence in our life, in his word. Jesus didn't change anything with these two guys. Nothing concrete or material has changed for them or their situation. He changes their perspective. He shows up and he reveals his plan and his character. And I want you to remember right now this morning all the hard things that you have walked through in your life up to this moment. There's been some scary times, hasn't there? There's been some times when you didn't know how this was going to play out or if this was going to work out. There's been some times when you had everything on the line and you weren't sure what was going to happen next. And you cried a little bit, didn't you? 
And you cried out to God a little bit, didn't you? And you know what? You doubted a little bit, didn't you? And then guess what? God showed up and showed who he was, didn't he? He revealed himself and his character and his power in your life. And there were a lot of people who followed Jesus and they saw the miracles that he did and they went, ooh, and awe, and you're awesome and you're the king, right? But here's a situation where two of his dedicated, committed followers are, are confused and Jesus shows up and he changes nothing. But they are changed and their eyes have been opened. And Jesus, he gives them the red pill, right? And now they see the matrix, right? They just got woke. And now nothing can ever be the same. You see, you see, they thought that Jesus was gone forever. But what Jesus showed them was, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Come on, give God praise this morning. You see, before the resurrection, they could only be with Jesus if he was right there with them in the flesh. But what the disciples discover was that now Jesus could be with them all the time. He was, in fact, with them all the time. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, his presence is with his followers today, everyone simultaneously who is following him. Jesus was not the lost one here. The disciples were lost They were asking, where are you, Jesus? What happened? What was the point of all of this? And they were doubting, and there was dark, confusing times, and they were asking, where are you, Jesus? And what's interesting here is Jesus does not, like, open, crack open some super secret book of, you know, uh, you know, classified information he was hiding under the throne, right, in, in heaven. No, Jesus brings up all the stories that they're already familiar with all the Psalms and all the prophets, and he walks them through the Bible and he shows them Messiah, Messiah, Messiah on every page. And today, we've got it better than these guys because, you know, we've got the entire word of God on our phones or on our computers. We've got access to sermons and studies and podcasts and commentaries on every imaginable subject. Listen, you and I could listen to and study the word of God 24 hours a day all year long. And can I just add here that, that it comes to us at a great cost. Good people who laid down their lives to put this in our hands. So we have the word of God. Does the word of God have us? And it is the word of God that Jesus points them to. And he highlights all the scriptures that talk about Messiah. And he opens their eyes to his plan in the same way that he wants to open your eyes to his plan in your life and to his character. Jesus did not come to change this situation. You see, the disciples, they were upset, and they were disappointed. They had an expectation that Messiah was going to get rid of Rome once and for all. But Jesus was like, why would I do that? Rome is going to destroy itself. The kingdom that Jesus came to destroy was the evil empire of Satan and sin and darkness. And the real miracle that Jesus does is when he comes and he changes us so that we can forgive those who have wronged us and pray for those who mistreat us. And he pours out his grace and his salvation on us over and over and over again until we learn how to love our enemies. Come on, give him praise. Until we learn because of his grace to do good to those even if they don't deserve it. And Jesus asks, what's more difficult to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. They're both impossible. Talk about, you know, someone who can't, has never walked and to tell them to get up and, and walk. But to say your sins are forgiven, only the love of God can do that. 
And he was making a point that he can absolutely change the temporary circumstance in your life, the things that we come across here on earth. But the true miracle is when he changes our eternal destination, when he changes our hearts and our very nature is changed by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. You see, the true miracle isn't when Jesus takes away a bad or scary situation, but that he can take any situation, any time, anything that you face, anywhere, and he'll turn it into something good for you. Come on, give him praise. Because that's the miracle. God is the author who takes your story and uses it for his glory. The Christians, the Christians were imprisoned. They were hunted by Rome. They were killed in gruesome events in the Colosseum for the entertainment of the masses. We've stood in the Colosseum in Rome, the, the, rem, the remains of it. But, the, you know, how, how could anyone see that and say, well, that was, you know, that was, that was good? The Romans saw the children of God go to their deaths with joy, with praise in their mouth, with a peace that that defied explanation. It defied comprehension. And it it came to the place where the citizens were demanded to know, what is it about these people? What did they have that we don't understand? We've never seen anyone die like this in the Colosseum. Who are these people? What is it that they have? that makes them different from everyone else. And the day came when the Romans, out of shame, they stripped all the marble out of those Colosseums and they gave it to Christian sculptors to make art to fill their churches. And it's still there to this day. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to my Father. Maybe, just maybe, your definition of greater and Jesus' definition are a little different. Because Jesus did a lot of miracles, incredible things that people saw and they experienced and they were evidence that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. John chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But you see, Lazarus died again. Everyone that Jesus raised up from the dead died again. Lazarus, he's not alive today. Every person that Jesus healed, and there was a lot of them, they died again. The greater things that we do are when we lead a family member or we lead someone that we know at work, someone that we care about and love, when we lead them out of the, of the realm of darkness and the bondage of sin and into the kingdom of light and into freedom and into liberty and into a relationship with the Christ who loves them, where they can experience eternal life now. And Jesus, he finally does allow these guys to see him, but he doesn't reveal his identity until they invite him into their home. And not just as a guest, but as the host, the person of honor. You see, Jesus reveals himself when he breaks the bread. And that, that's traditionally, that's the, the, the role of the host, the, the homeowner, is the one who does that, not the guest. Jesus is given a, a place of leadership in this home, and then he reveals his identity. When Jesus is given lordship in our lives, then he will reveal himself as Lord. 
Revelation chapter 3. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus wasn't saying that to the world. He was saying it to the church. The revelation of Jesus in our community, in our state, in our church begins in our homes when he is Lord in our home. You see, we see Jesus here break. We see him breaking the bread when he feeds the thousands. We see him breaking bread at the Last Supper with his disciples. We see him breaking the bread with these two that he has come to hunt down and and follow after. But in all three of these, these circumstances, Jesus is revealing his purpose, his goal to bring heaven and earth back together again. He says, John, John chapter six, I am the bread of life. Jesus showing up, Jesus revealing his identity. Not the biggest miracle here. And it, and it was an amazing one. They, they got their minds blown when that happened. The big miracle was when they realized he was there the whole time. He was with us on that whole journey. And Jesus, he saw you when you left the place that you belonged. He saw you when you walked away from the company of those that you used to have fellowship with. He saw you being led away by your doubt on a long journey. And I want you to know that he's there. He's there in the place where you have some doubts. And he went after these confused and doubting disciples and he answered their questions and he showed them everything that they had been praying that God would change to defeat the enemies, to bring the kingdom of heaven, to reconcile man with God. Everything was done as God had promised, just not the way they expected. And then finally, he shows himself. And when he does, and they realize it was him the whole time, they say, Weren't our hearts burning in us the whole time he was talking? And what is it that they do here? They, they get up immediately and they, they walk all night back to Jerusalem and they take the very same road to get back to where they came from to share that truth with everyone else. And don't you know, when they were walking on the road, they're walking by a tree or by a rock and they're saying, don't you remember when he's, we were by this rock and we asked that question and then he said this. They were remembering that whole journey. And what I find interesting here is that Jesus never once tells them what to do or where to go. He just reveals himself. He just says, hey guys, it's me. And then he disappears. And you know what? They know exactly what to do. The doubts have melted away and they're they're gone. They're on the road. Maybe you're going through a dark place where you're unsure of what to do next. What is the next step? What career am I supposed to be in? What am I supposed to study? Where am I supposed to live? Should I accept this offer? Should I leave this company? Should I date this person? Should I marry this one? And the answer to all of these things is to put Jesus first. And then all these things are going to shake out in the way they need to. Seek first the ways of the kingdom. Everything else will fall in place. You know, we stress so much about the decisions when we hit that fork in the road. Isn't that true? Uh, you know, when, when it was, um, you know, time for us to decide where, you know, where are our kids going to go to school, you know, kinder, you're getting to the age of kindergarten, you know, we did a lot of work. We researched and we looked at the curriculums of the state and, oh, goodness, and, you know, but you got to make a decision, right? And, and so the decision is we're putting our faith in you, God. And that no matter what situation my family is in, I know you will not fail to show up. And so we walk by faith and we pursue Jesus and then we watch him show up. 
And I think that that is greater than any miracle, greater than, than the healings, greater than the bread that was multiplied, is Jesus shows up, is that his presence is with us. He said that this is what Moses was, was trying to convey to God when he says, he says, your presence among us sets apart your people and me from all other people on the earth. It's his presence is what makes us different, isn't it? And at the end of our lives, when we watch the recording played back from the perspective of God, we're going to be like these two. And our eyes will be open. And we'll see, God, you were with me the whole time, weren't you? You were with me.